0: The word of the Lord comes to us this morning from uh, the letter of James to the diaspora in the first century, Uh, reading from the uh, 26th verse of the first chapter, uh, James 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, Feel free to take out your phones. And your iPads, no, the iPads are a little too big for you to bring to church. Um, oh, I miss the days when we had the big King James Version, and we put it beside our like holy people and did the holy tip. Now you have these little things in your pockets and call it the Word of the Lord. But I do too. I, I do it. I usually like them. I have a suit, I put it in this pocket, so it's right by my heart. If anybody tries to shoot me, they have to shoot through the Word of the Lord, you know? So. Um, and it's a light unto my feet and the lamp unto my path. Uh, they predicted this many years ago, you know, that this is, in the end of time there would be a lighted Bible. So if you take out your Bibles and turn them on and go to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Hear the word of the Lord. If any think they are religious, And do not bridle their tongue, but deceive their heart. Their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the father and parent is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord, you, title of my sermon today is Justice, an Act of Salvation. May your spirit rest and abide with us as we open your sacred word this morning we pray O oh God in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, The text that I'm going to focus around uh, this morning from the the epistle of James is chapter 2, verse 14. James 2, verse 14, which is maybe the most well-known verse uh, in uh, this little letter by James, uh, which says, What good is it, my brothers and my sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? Um, this is a, this particular verse and this whole idea of faith and works is a shibboleth of uh, uh, the uh, right wing versus the left wing in uh, Christianity and in the Seventh day Adventist Church, uh, which many of you uh, belong to. Uh, they, they, you see, the shibboleth thing is back in the Old Testament. They knew the people who were of a certain tribe beca- and knew the people who were not of a certain tribe because those who belonged to this tribe could pronounce the S-H, the sh, right? Those who didn't belong to that tribe but belonged to uh, the others, the outsiders, they couldn't do it. And if you couldn't say sh- sh- shibboleth, you could only say shibboleth, you get killed. It separated the right from the left. And this matter of righteousness by works versus righteousness by faith is that shibboleth for some of us. Are you justified by faith in Jesus or do you have to do something? to be saved. It's the justification party versus the sanctification. No, you are not just justified. That's cheap grace. You need to be sanctified. Uh, You need to be righteous. You need to be holy. You need to be perfect. And those who belong to the justification party, they go to Paul and say, see what Paul says? You are not justified by works. You are justified by faith in Jesus. It's only his grace that saves you, nothing else. But those who want you to be perfect, those who want you to be sanctified, they say, but James, James disagrees, and James says that you got to have works to be saved. You, James, grace is cheap if you're not doing something. And the, the doing is usually a certain list of things that make you perfect. I know what I'm talking about. My brother will remember, at Rollington Town in the 60s, there was the Brimsmead movement. Some of you old-timers may remember that. And Brimsmead taught that you need to be absolutely perfect. And Tunkadaddy and and, and our, our group, we worked to be Perfect. We were going to be absolutely perfect because Jesus is only going to save those who are sinless without one stain of sin, and we were going to be among this 144,000 people who are going to have no sin but just perfect, and there were about 400 people in my church And I knew that Ellen White says that only one in 20 would be saved. And with 400 people in the church, I knew the other 19 who were perfect. You didn't get that. You don't do maths these days. That means there were going to be how many people in my church going to be saved? 20. And I knew the other 19. Okay, you got it. Because we were working for perfection. We had this list of sins that you should not commit. There are many who are thinking that that, even in our church today and in Christianity in some places, they think that's what James is talking about. And there were people like Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, he didn't like James. Because he says, James says you're justified by doing things, by works. But Paul says, no, you're justified by faith. And anything, it doesn't, James doesn't uplift Christ. Therefore, James should not even be in the Bible, but he didn't want to throw it out. What he did was throw it to the back of the Bible, kind of the back of the bus. You know, it, it's not as important. And there were some other books in the Bible, you know, that were, that were in the, kind of put to the back as well. Um, uh, let's see. Um, which is this one? Um, uh, they, 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 Ruth. Not Ruth. Um, Esther. Did you know that Esther doesn't mention the word God? Did you know that? Now, if you were putting a Bible together, if this church had to vote the canon... And we bring a book in there that doesn't mention the word God. You think we would put it in there? Nope. You have to have God in there. We, we, we dictate what book's supposed to be in the Bible. So like Luther, they didn't, that wasn't a good book. Oh, oh, of course, Songs of Solomon had a hard time getting in there because it talks about sex. And God doesn't believe in sex. Uh, you know how God got the, the Songs of Solomon in the Bible? He made them think that it's talking about God and the church. And somebody said, Oh, it's not about sex, it's about God and the church. Hey, it can't go in the Bible. And God just laughed in heaven and said, I got sex in the Bible. But we 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 determine. So we look on James and it says, No, you need works. And we say, "Uh uh-uh, that can't be in the Bible. No way. Because Paul says, and Paul is the final authority. Problem is that we are misunderstanding what Paul is talking about and what James is talking about. We are so messed up in our way we read the Bible, and it's not the problem of the Bible. It's the problem of us. We are imposing things on the Bible that is our theology, and we're keeping things out of the Bible that we don't like. You see, Paul was talking about legalism. The works he was talking about is legalistic work, which includes keeping the Sabbath. Now that sounds heretical, right? Sabbath no 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 Sabbath is important. We can't go to heaven without the Sabbath. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Keeping the Sabbath to go to heaven is works, legalistic works. I love keeping the Sabbath, but not to say be saved. It's because I'm saved. I want to enjoy the Sabbath day not as a legalistic requirement when I can't do this and can't do that and can't do this and can't do that. It's because I'm saved that that happens, not to be saved. And none of the works, circumcision or law, works of law, will save you. That's what Paul is talking about. James is not talking about that at all. James is talking about an ethical, social, situation, not a checklist, He's dealing with, oh, 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 I'm just about to repeat the newest four-letter Adventist word, social justice. I know I'm preaching to the wrong audience. If you all didn't believe in social justice, um, you would not be here today. Oh, there may be a spy or two in the audience anyhow, but... um, Want to say, what is this guy from Walla Walla coming to say? You know, I, I know them. I prayed for you before I came here, and I know you're praying for me. It's mutual prayers going up to the same God. Thank you, Jesus. Social justice is not a bad word. It's not a bad word, it's a biblical word, and that's what James is talking about, and that's why some people don't like James. Because he talks about something that we don't want to talk about, and that's justice. As a matter of fact, you know, the word justice in the Bible, <laughs> the word justice in the Bible, I know they tell me I'm not supposed to come outside of the light, but every now and then, you know, I I, I got to, I feel the Spirit moving me to come a little closer because I, 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 I want you to get it. You, you, you're getting me, right? No, you're still getting me on the camera. Okay, okay. All right. As long as you all get me, you know, like... The word justice in the Bible is the same word, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, for the word righteousness. Go through your Bible and every time you see the word righteousness, put in the word justice in its place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and is righteousness, right? And all of a sudden, your mind go to this little righteous, holy little sainthood thing. But change that word, which is the same word. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and is justice. Makes a difference. Makes a difference. The Bible is all about justice. So anybody who says this social justice is not Adventist or it's not Christian, they are heretics. Because for God, justice is more important. Now I'm we're going to see that in just a minute. Just a minute. Because this true religion that James is talking about as I read in the p- primary scripture there, religion that's pure and undefiled before God is taken care of the widows and the orphans. Why does he mention widows and orphans? It's a symbol of the weakest and the poorest and the most marginalized in society. The widows had no husband to take care of them. The orphans had no father. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. And for James, that is pure, pure religion. Sharing with those who don't, have especially those way at the bottom. And this parallels the Old Testament prophets, you know. Turn with me, um, you don't turn now, you click or something like that, uh, to, to, to Oseah. To, no, let's take Amos, let me skip Oseah. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Amos 5, 21 to 24. Here is the pure religion that the people of Israel thought about. They're going to go to church, and I know some of you came to church here just because you haven't been to church for four weeks and you don't want God to zap you. You know, you need to come and worship. You know, you need to come and pray. I haven't been to church. I better do that because I want, oh, suppose Jesus come tonight. I don't know what I'd do, so I better come to church. And hear what God says in verse 21. I hate, I despise your festivals. I don't take delight in your solemn assemblies oh, of course this morning wasn't too solemn. They were playing a guitar and drums and all of that. That's not very solemn. All right. Uh, maybe that's why you do it because God hated the solemn one. All right, so be it. You offer me burnt offerings, grains offerings. I will not accept them. The offering of well being of your fatted animals, I'm not going to look on them. Take them away from me, the noise of your song. Not going to listen to the melody of your harps. What do I want? Verse 24, let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's what I want, not your nice worship service. I even took off my three-piece suit and thing, you know, a nice dress, just so I could dress down a little bit, No, but really to represent my Asian people. Justice for people and immigrants. I'll come back to that. If you want to leave now, feel free to do so. Because I'm coming to it. All right. What do I do? Oh, look, 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 look at Micah. Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. As a matter of fact, he starts in verse 6. What shall I come before the Lord? How shall I bow down myself, burnt offerings, sacrifices? Will the Lord be pleased with all these offerings and tithes and, and all the things that I do? have given him my firstborn. He has told you, O mortal man, what is good and what does the Lord require. If, if God should come here today, if I should ask here today, what does God require of you as christian people i'm talking to the christians now as a matter of fact the, the the christian adventists what does god require of you i know when i was growing up i would have told them oh uh, he wants to make sure that you keep the sabbath day holy he wants to make sure that you go to church on sabbath oh and my mama would say you better go to church on wednesday night we are always at church on wednesday night because mama said that wednesday night jesus was going to come on a wednesday evening at seven o'clock during prayer meeting and only those who are at prayer meeting will be translated so we're always at church on thursday night we know what god requires And what does the prophet of the Old Testament, Amos, say? But what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? This is in the Bible, friends. This is in the Bible. What God requires of you is not this list of things to be perfect. It's to do justice. To love mercy. And walk humbly with your God as you do these things. That's the requirement of God. That's the requirement of Amos. Now, let's do the Bible study. Uh, I've been a teacher for almost 50 years, and, uh, so I don't know how, how to just preach without teaching. So, so I, I mix them up. And when I get in the classroom every morning at 8 o'clock, it's a big sermon. Uh, pl- that they have to be examined on. Uh, so, so, so let's do a little bit of work with the text and listen to what James is doing. You see chapter twenty-one, verse 27 is the kind of the headline of the text, what pure religion. And then James outlines the rest of what pure religion is in chapter 2. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. He states his position very clearly in that verse. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The illustration he's going to do is favoritism. However, there are lots of favoritism because in the Greek, the word for favoritism or partiality is in the plural. So in the church there, there are lots of partialities, acts of partiality. It's not just one. And, you know, you will have to look in your church and say, what if James were here today, what would be the partiality that he's talking about? The one that he's talking about particularly, however, he goes on to talk in verses um, 2 and 3. He gives an illustration. A person comes into the, with your house, in your, in your assembly, with gold rings and fine clothes. A poor person in dirty clothes comes in, uh, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while you say to the one who is poor, stand there and sit at my feet. He gives two illustrations. One, he says they come into your assembly. And what we have done in the past is make this assembly the church. So most versions are say they're talking about the church. And some of the scholars have even written and said, you see, James says there should be no partiality in church. One Professor Cook said, In the church, we're all at the foot of the cross. uh, We are all equal. However, in the world, we can't be all equal. We have to show distinctions. Heresy! Uh, You see, because we, 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 we want to come to church and we want to say, well, you know, we're all equal, but when we head out into the world, all of a sudden, we treat people badly because they're not part of our groupie. Or they're poor, or they're black, or they're Hispanic, or they're immigrants, so we don't have to treat them equally. And I I want to tell you, I don't believe that's what James is saying. For one, the word that is used as assembly, coming to your assembly or your meeting place, It's a very clear word. Read the Bible, uh, at least in the original, or get a good version. It says, in your synagogue, which is your synagogue. Now, uh, the synagogue, what is really the synagogue? Most of us would think, well, it's a church. The synagogue is a church, right? Where you worship. The fact is the synagogue was used for more things than just worship. It was a place where you did all kinds of things. You know, most of us here, we have this idea that, well, this is, a, this is a, 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 the, the temple of God, you know, that is holy, and you should not do anything else. How I many of you would have a potluck in here? Oh, no, 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 go downstairs. God doesn't believe in eating. Then you're up here, that's holy. You don't eat. Then you become unholy downstairs. A, a political meeting? Would you have one here? Yes, you all would. You're heretics anyhow. <laughs> what about school? You know, it, it bugs me a lot that we open these sanctuaries for one hour each week. It's... Uh, and we do nothing else in it. But come in here, and we don't want it to go more than a week, uh, an hour because you have your roast in the oven, bacon. So you hate black preachers like me that is going to go over time. <laughs> Plus talking a lot of heresy as far as some people are concerned. <laughs> but the synagogue, you know, the temple that they had in Jerusalem, uh, that was the place you couldn't do a lot of things in including women, could not go into the, into the regular plates. That's another sermon, if you bring me back. But the temple was like that. The synagogue, however, was a place where you did a lot of things. Almost anything you could do, including worship. And what God, Jesus, really wanted the church, it was to be like that. Because he said to the woman of Samaria, whether she should worship in Jerusalem, Gerasim, and she says, God, um, you know, really, it doesn't matter. Wherever God is, you can worship. Under the mango tree, like what we're going to have in heaven, 12 different kind of mango on the tree of life. You know, the, you didn't get that one. went over your head. In Africa, under the mango tree, or in a synagogue, like, or in a place like this, God can be worshiped. So the synagogue in the time of James was not only used for worship. I would like to suggest that what James is talking here is about a courtroom. It was a judicial setting, and I prove it. I have here with me uh, two texts from a rabbinic document uh, that was in a judicial setting, as I read it, think of how it parallels this situation in James. It says, one, the first one. The first one says, How do we know that if two come to court, one clothed in rags, the other in fine raiment worth a hundred money, they the court should say to the him, the well-dressed man, Dress him like you, or you dress like him. In other words, when you come to court, the rich man should not look wealthy, rich, and the poor man look poor. Either the rich man dress well, poor or the poor man dress wealthy, so there is equality. That comes from one rabbinic document. Here's the other one. Rabbah, son of Rabbi Huna, said, if a rabbinical scholar and a literate scholar have some dispute with each other and come to court, we persuade the rabbinical scholar to sit. And to the illiterate person, we also say sit. And if he stands, it matters not. Rabbi, son of Rabbi Shuaiba, had a case before Rabbi Papa. He told him to sit. And he also told his opponent to sit. But the court attendant came and kicked the poor illiterate man and made him stand up. To make that distinction, this is exactly the case that James was talking about where you come to court and you show distinctions by making one dress wealthy and the other one dress poorly, or you make the rich man sit and you make the poor man stand. And of course, when judgment is given, it's not justice. Because you are going to be, give judgment for the rich man over the poor man. And James says that is wrong. As a matter of fact, he goes on in verse 5, and he says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and do- and promised promise to those who love Him the kingdom? Here's to the kingdom. We have a problem. We have a problem, friends. Uh, And the problem is that we will not accept the fact that God is on the side of the poor and He has an option for the poor. He has a preferential option for those who are poor. Nowhere are you going to find that God says, uh, I prefer the rich and the rich as a place in the kingdom. You're not going to find that. Even though in many of our churches, you find that you have this wealth of Christian churches, health and wealth gospel. And you don't hear much about God wants you to take care of the poor. Here in this chapter, he is saying, I'm on the side of the poor and the marginal. And yet we don't preach that how many fundamental beliefs we have now 28 is any of those fundamental beliefs that you have to take care of the poor and the homeless and the sick and the suffering and the marginalized it's not there it's not there and i've been pushing for it for years not for God, that is as important and more important than some of the others that we have. But why is he so anti-rich? Right? Why is James so anti-rich? Verse 6 and 7 explains it. As I said, just read Scripture. Just read Scripture it says you have dishonored the poor it's the rich that oppress you it's not they they who drag you into court they blaspheme the excellent name that is invoked over you and people say to me pedrito why are you so anti-rich i am not anti-rich <laughs> yes i'm pro-poor The question is, why are the poor, poor? Because of oppression. And in the first century, this is why I did my doctoral dissertation on that, to look at a socio-exegetical study of poverty in the fourth century, why James was so angry with rich people, and why Jesus was so angry with rich people, and said that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven like the rich young ruler. Because when it finally came down to it, he says, sell all you have and give to the poor. And he could not do it. He could not share. That's in chapter 18 of Luke. But then you come to chapter 19 of Luke, and you have a very, very wealthy man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, salvation had come to his house. How did it come to his house? He said, the half of my good... I give to the poor, I have shared my balls, thanks for that story. Salvation undercomes to those who have by sharing with those who don't. And the ones who don't share are oppressing the ones who don't have. And don't, 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 don't and, and, and be careful now if you're by just looking on people around and say, oh yes, that million here, he's not sharing. I look at myself as I tell my students. When a, co- when a college student comes to me, say, I'm, I'm trying to work to get to class, and I see you, I tell you to get my tuition, and I see you have a big lawn here, um, can you, can, can, can I mow the lawn for you? You know, and I said, well, you know, I do it myself, you know, but, okay, okay, all right. How much are you charging? Well, as I look at that lawn, it, it's going to take me two hours. Um, boy. But, you know, since you're my teacher, I do it for $30. And I started saying, say, Thir- come on, man, you can do better than that. I give you $15 to do it. He said, well, you know... Okay. That's oppression. I can easily pay him $15 to do it, and I've cut it in half, which means he has to take out time from his studies to go and cut another lawn to make just $30. I have oppressed him. What I should have done is not only give him the $30, but give him $30 more and tell him, take off an hour and go and study. Because I have it. And most poor people are poor because of oppression like that. And it was worse. And I could go on and on. If you get my book, you will see how widespread it was. There was no rich person in the time of James that was not an oppressor. That was willing to share. Instead, when you get to chapter 5, and that's another sermon, he says, go to now you rich men, weep and howl. The cries of the laborers come up, and you have withhold their pay. Now, I have to ask myself, have I withheld the pay of people who are poor, widows, orphans? And when you don't treat the poor right, God calls that blasphemy because those people are my chosen people. And when you treat them like that, you have blasphemed my name. That's serious stuff. That's serious stuff. And so serious God takes this. If you go down to verse 9 of chapter 2, where he says, If you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted as a transgressor of the law. Now tell me, where in, where in Scripture do you find one of the Ten Commandments is Thou shalt not show partiality? Anybody? Can find it? We pride ourselves as Seventh-day Adventists that we keep the Ten Commandments, and those people prided themselves that they kept the commandments. They were Jewish people; they prided themselves that they kept the commandments. Uh, and they even said, when, when James said to them, but you're showing sure partiality, in verse 8 it says, but we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why we're treating these, poor, these rich people, you know, who are the, treating the poor badly. They're our neighbors, so we're being kind to them. You know, we, we bring them to church and we treat them very nice. I, 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 evangelists, uh, we know about that. You know, we, I remember in Puerto Rico, I was preaching a sermon similar to this on James, and I was talking with a bunch of pastors, and I was telling them how we do this and show partiality in our evangelistic meetings. The tent is packed with people, and we see somebody from society, you know, a rich person in in society or or a politician in society, and we bring them up, and the church is packed, and there are some poor people who came early so they could be close to the pastor, and we tell them, move, move, move. Don't you see important people are here? Uh, we we do it a lot and the person who was preaching was was, was, um, translating for me at that time i didn't know a lot of spanish somebody told me afterwards and then when it happened the second time and he would not translate the first time he translated totally wrong because he didn't like that he didn't like me telling pastors that they were committing sin, you know and and the next time and he, he tried to do that i repeated myself and he still repeated the heresy and i repeated myself Uh, And he still repeated the heresy. Uh, Until I got him to change, I would not move on until he says, showing partiality, even under the evangelistic tent, is wrong. We have to challenge ourselves. Because James says that showing partiality is not one of the Ten Commandments, but he equates it with two of the Ten Commandments that are serious. One is, the commandment says, you shall not murder. And in our society, that's the worst commandment. Murder? No, you don't murder. You murder in this society, or they hang you, or they give you injection. And some people are just dying for blood for people who murder. It's the worst sin in our society. In the church, it's adultery. As a matter of fact, anything has to do with sex, homosexuality, adultery, all of that. We're ready to read your to the church. James used the murder and adultery. And he says, But you who show partiality. As a matter of fact, where, where's that text here? Uh, verse 10. Verse 10, it says here, for he who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Uh, what, uh, all of you old time, I don't know if you have been Adventist about 15 or more years, just put up your hand. Okay, so you know, what does this text, is the key text for this? Which commandment? You all don't talk in this church? You need to bring me back here so I can make them black, so they can talk out to me. Right. Oh, did I hear it? What, what commandment? The fourth commandment. Now, you see, eat not walla walla, which is almost all white. Not all White, we, we, we're coming here. I teach them how to talk back to me. I can't preach without I hearing a little bit of sound back there. Which commandment do we use for this one? Fourth commandment. Uh, no, I know, I, that's not good enough. I want to hear a little bit more. Uh, say Sabbath or fourth. Which commandment do we use for this text? All right, now I feel like I'm in church. Now I can start preaching. How much time do I have? 30 minutes? <laughs> the fourth commandment. This text is not even talking about the fourth commandment. Uh Uh-uh. But we like to use it, and we like to use it on people that keep Sunday, right? Oh, you keep all the other nine, but you're not keeping the Sabbath commandment. Therefore, you're breaking all of them. Have we ever thought that when James is saying that, he's saying you could keep all the Ten Commandments, but you show favoritism and you don't take care of the poor, you have broken all of them? That's what he's saying here. Not taking care of the poor, showing partiality, is breaking the commandment. You are condemned as a sinner. That's how strong James feels about this particular sin of not sharing with the poor, of being partial against them, of not taking care of them. And it's in that context that he comes to chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. 24, where he says, What if a person says he has faith? but he doesn't have works. What is the works he's talking about? It's not this perfectionism that I thought I was doing in the 60s in Jamaica. As a matter of fact, if we only read verse 15, he tells us, why don't we read the Bible in context? instead of picking out a text here and a text there. But just read the Bible. Verse 15 says, If a brother or a sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one says to them, Go in peace, be warm and eat your fill, do not supply their needs, what good is that? What good is that if people are hungry? How can you come to church and say, I'm saved by grace? by faith, and there is somebody who is hungry. You leave church and go and vote for people who are not taking care of the poor. Sinner! As a matter of fact, James is very interesting, you know. He's a funny guy. He uses some illustrations, and he used the one of Abraham, but he also uses the one of Rahab. The Bible is a dangerous book, you know. And he not just say, and look at Rahab, who took care of the Israelites. He says, Rahab, the prostitute. How many prostitutes are here today? Um, Well, you all don't identify the prostitutes in your church, right? Or the prostitutes are not comfortable here. <laughs> not comfortable with prostitutes and homosexuals, gays, lesbians, uh, adulterers, and, you know, rich. We have, we have our list that, you know, we are comfortable with, but we're not comfortable with the others. Not James. He says, "Rab, the prostitute was justified by the works that she did in helping others. If James were here today, my friends, what would he be focused on? Do we find ourselves more focused on our own kind, on the powerful, those who have it, are you start thinking about, it's almost Christmas, you know. And you start thinking of what, who, what I'm going to do for Christmas. Uh, the present I'm going to give to my boss. Or my rich uncle, who I need to get some money to go to college. Or the boss who I want to give a, a raise of pay so I get them the best present. Or are you thinking about the homeless person down the street, or when you see the homeless person, do all come to your mind is, I wonder what they're going to do with that money. They must have a big rich house in Beverly Hills, and they're just trying to rob me. No, don't don't let me get off I'm gone off anyhow. If God should treat us the way we use His money, that He has blessed us with and not give us any more. But we are very quick to look at the poor person. Have you all thought about what Mr. Walmart does with his money? Huh? Do you think? You, are you making a big deal about it? I'm not going to shop at Walmart anymore because he doesn't pay his workers, right? But a poor person on the street, you start judging them that they must be misusing the money and they're going to use it to drink something. How many of you took your pay and you went and bought pop? I'm going to stop paying my secretary because she likes pop. Too much sugar in there anyhow. I like pop too. If James were here today, What would he be saying to us on how we treat people? How do we treat people in the church? The person who goes to our academies that can afford that versus the poor person who go to the public school. How would he treat that? The kid on welfare. Are they comfortable in this church? Are they comfortable in any of our churches? Do we highlight them, bring them upon the platform, let them sing, let them know this is their home? How do we treat that black or Hispanic, Asian, struggling worker versus the hard-working native Caucasian? Oh, we say, oh, you see how hard they work. need to give them, encourage them. We stopped to think that they just never had the role model. They never had the mama. I would not be here today. My brother Hugh would not be here today had we not had the mama who we had. We didn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God pulled us up using mama who says, boys, you can make it. And by God's grace, I am going to help every kid because some kids don't have boots and some don't have straps. He calls us to share the immigrants. Saying at the church, we're looking for a church pastor, and there were some people there making a big noise. We don't want any pastor that's going to preach politics. Too many people are talking in the church about immigrants. That's politics. Well, I better close my Bible because this is a political book. If that's politics. But do we treat immigrants from Europe different from immigrants from Mexico? If James were here today, what would he say? Jesus was very clear. Jesus was very clear. There's going to be a judgment. When the King shall come in His glory, He's not going to ask who has kept the commandments perfectly and who has not. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep the commandments. Get me clearly, especially those of you who are looking on this tape. Be careful how you judge me because I never said that. I said when Jesus in His final sermon Very final one in Matthew 25. When he says we should be ready, what should we be doing? He says there is going to be an investigative judgment and he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's that's, that's a funny one. I know you all are hungry and want to go home, but that's a funny one. Why Why would God use sheep and goats? The goats are the good people. You know, goats are smart, you know. Sheep, they are so dumb. If you want your sheep to cross the street, you put a goat in front of it. And the goat will look up and will look down and will not cross. And the sheep will just follow along. And if the goat is not there, they just go there to their death. But Jesus is an upside down guy. He turns things upside down. And he says the good guys are going to be, and girls, are going to be the sheep. The bad ones are going to be the goats. And in this judgment, the way I'm going to judge them is this on your works, but not a list of checklist commandments. He's saying, But I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a prisoner, I was naked. I was strange. You know how we talk about all oh, those strange gays. If Jesus were here today, I wonder who he would hang out with. He loved me. You accepted me. You shared with me. In as As you did it unto these, the least, the last, the lost, the marginalized, the minoritized, inasmuch, you have done it unto me.